Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And now for today's environmental news brief by Nathaniel Weinzeffel. From WFHB, this is your environmental news briefing. I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. The Caviar King, otherwise known as David Cox, the once infamous illegal poacher of paddlefish along the Ohio River, has once again made headlines, as his relative has been sentenced in federal court for the illegal harvesting of paddlefish. Joseph Scheiger must serve five years probation for catching paddlefish and cutting them open to take their eggs. These fish are considered threatened under Ohio law, and only commercially approved fishing of them is allowed in parts of the Ohio River controlled by Indiana and Kentucky. Since Joseph caught the fish in Ohio and brought them to Indiana, he violated the Federal Lacey Act, which prohibits the legal transportation of wildlife if said wildlife was illegally caught in the state it was taken from. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service released a statement thanking the investigators who had been working to stop the greed of Joseph and similar legal wildlife traffickers. Judge Tanya Walton Pratt of the Southern District of Indiana recently ruled in favor of environmental groups who have spent four years fighting a proposal to log and control burn areas of the Hoosier National Forest close to Lake Monroe. The proposal, called the Houston South Project, wanted to restore oak and hickory trees to the forest after the logging and burning. The Monroe County Board of Commissioners and the Hoosier Environmental Council were concerned that rainfall following the burns could lead to more sediment entering the Lake Monroe watershed and potentially contaminate Bloomington's drinking water supply. While Judge Pratt did dismiss claims that endangered species, such as the Indiana bat, would be impacted, the environmental groups have considered this ruling as a success and the health of the lake protected. Across the ocean, the country of Italy has recently voted in its country's parliament to include protections for both animals and the environment in its nation's constitution. This section of the constitution, titled Article 9, previously protected the natural landscape and heritage of the country, but the new amendment would now mandate that the country, quote, protect the environment, biodiversity, ecosystems, and animals in the interest of future generations, unquote. The World Wildlife Fund's chapter in Italy was supportive of the change due to the protections it now enshrines into the nation's most important document. Other areas of the world, including Argentina in 1994 and the Alaska State Constitution, 
have included similar environmental preservation amendments into their constitutions. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. In today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporter Enrique Sands covers two northern Indiana towns cutting a deal to fix decades of water pollution violations. But first, today's environmental stories. Because of an abundance of roughed grouse, Grassland was the name given by William Henry Harrison to his mansion in Vincennes. Even as recently as 1980, there were a good number of grouse their numbers dropped, and by this century there were few survivors. When the Forestry Service had to supply 49% of their own funds under Governor Daniels, the service auctioned off many more trees. Selling off about 14 million board feet of timber continues today. To justify this high volume of sale, the DNR says they are attempting to create the new growth forest grouse prefer. Every year, the DNR goes to several sites around the state to listen for males drumming. They have not recorded a single drumming in the last 10 years. What the DNR has failed to accept is that the grouse have left Indiana because it is too warm. Grouse are found as far south as Grand Rapids, Michigan. 50 years ago, the U.S. passed the Clean Water Act with the goal of ensuring fishable, swimmable water across the U.S. by 1983. Now, a new report from the Environmental Integrity Project finds the country has fallen far short of that goal. In fact, about half of the nation's lakes and rivers are too polluted for swimming, fishing, or drinking. Quote, the Clean Water Act should be celebrated on its 50th birthday for making America's waterways significantly cleaner, end quote, Executive Director Eric Schaefer said in a press release announcing the report. They need more funding, stronger enforcement, and better control of farm runoff to clean up waters that are still polluted after half a century. Let's give EPA and states the tools they need to finish the job. We owe that much to our children and to future generations. The report was based on reports that states are required to submit under the Clean Water Act on the pollution levels of their rivers, streams, lakes, and estuaries. According to the most recent reports, more than half of the lakes and rivers are considered impaired, meaning that they fall short of standards for fishing, swimming, aquatic life, and drinking. Specifically, around 51% of rivers and streams and 55% of lake acres are considered impaired, the Hill reported. Further, 26% of estuary miles are also impaired. The Clean Water Act was a landmark legislative achievement when it was passed in 1972. It promised to end the discharge of all pollutants into navigable waters by 1985, according to the press release. However, it has fallen short of that goal for several reasons, according to the report. Number one, the act has strong controls for pollution pumped directly into waterways from factories or sewage plants, but not for indirect pollution, such as agricultural runoff from factory farms. Number two, the EPA has dragged its feet in updating industry-specific technology-based limits for water pollution control systems. By 2022, two-thirds of these industry-specific limits had not been updated in more than 30 years. 
and number three, budget cuts have hampered the ability of the EPA and state agencies to enforce the law. The report also broke down pollution by state. Indiana has the most miles of rivers and streams too impaired for swimming and recreation. Quote, Indiana's waters have benefited from the Clean Water Act, but unfortunately, they also illustrate some of the gaps in the law, end quote. Dr. Indra Frank, Environmental Health and Water Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, said in the press release, quote, we have seen persistent, unresolved impairments, especially for E. coli bacteria in our rivers and streams, in part from industrial agricultural runoff. And we have also seen examples of Clean Water Act permits used to send water contaminated with coal ash into our rivers. We need to halt pollution like this, end quote. According to Professor Brian J. McGowan, Department of Forestry and Natural Resources, Purdue University, the reason we rarely, if ever, see quail anymore is because of loss of habitat. We quote from his Hoosier Farmland Wildlife Notes, quote, Bobwhite quail prefer a mixture of grassland, cropland, brushy areas, and woodland arranged in a manner that provides a lot of edge habitat or areas where two or more habitat types meet. This arrangement will provide all of the essential habitat requirements for quail in a relatively small area. A covey of quail will typically occupy an area of about 20 to 40 acres. Loss of habitat is most likely responsible for the declines in bobwhite quail over the past half century. A shift in agricultural practices during this time is the primary cause. When quail populations in Indiana and the Midwest were much higher in the 1950s, farming practices were different than today. Farms were generally divided into smaller parcels, field sizes were smaller and divided by fence rows, and production was more evenly distributed among row crops, small grains, and pastures." End quote. Local residents, tribes, and businesses are demanding completion of an Environmental Impact Statement, or EIS, for a 750,000 square foot wood processing mill that Charlotte, North Carolina-based Huber Engineered Woods proposes to build one mile outside the Leech Lake Reservation in Cohasset, Minnesota. An EIS on the project hasn't been completed, raising significant concerns about the public. Minnesotans are taking their demand to Governor Tim Walz and Director of City Operations for Cohasset, Max Peters. People demanding a complete EIS say Huber Mill threatens the immediate and long-term well-being of the people, plants, and animals in northern Minnesota. An EIS must address the dangers of over-harvested forest, drained wetlands, increased air pollution, and destruction of bald eagle nesting sites. Additionally, the absence of tribal consultation violates Governor Walz's 2019 Executive Order Number 1924, which encourages government-to-government relations between tribes and the state of Minnesota. The project would affect the forest of all northern Minnesota tribes because Huber intends to harvest wood within a 70- to 100-mile radius of the mill. Over 60% of the world's consumer goods, almost $14 trillion worth of products, from computers to fruit, are transported in huge containers on ships. It's hard to find a word that describes the size of those ships. Some are as long as the Empire State Building is tall, 
and they can have a deadweight tonnage of 275 million metric tons. The average ship can carry over 20,000 containers filled with goods. Container ships harm the environment. Almost all container ships have engines that operate with low-grade ship bunker diesel combustion. Some of the largest ships can carry about 4.5 million gallons of fuel. Container ships emit such toxic substances as carbon dioxide, nitrous oxides, and sulfur oxides, which cause acid rain. A single ship emits the same amount of pollution as 50 million cars. In fact, emissions from only 15 ships are equivalent to the emissions from all the world's cars. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration conducted a study showing that pollution from container ships has caused 60,000 deaths per year and costs as much as $330 billion annually from lung and heart disease. Communities adjacent to ports in Southern California are covered with smog from ships and trucks idling in and near the ports. Low-income communities of color are disproportionately located near ports, and people of color are more likely than white people to be hospitalized for port-related illnesses. Shipping traffic harms sensitive marine ecosystems. Thousands of cargo containers are lost at sea every year, releasing approximately 10,000 metric tons of plastic into the ocean. The noise that container ships produce is so loud, it can drown out as much as 97% of southern resident killer whales' communication range. That hinders the whale's ability to communicate and hunt cooperatively and threatens their survival. According to a new report by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, sea levels on U.S. coastlines will rise an average of 10 to 12 inches by 2050. Bob Kopp, a co-author of last summer's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's report and director of the Rutgers Institute of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences, told reporters, quote, Sea level rise is already impacting people around the world, and it's led to a near doubling in the frequency of coastal flooding since the 1960s in many coastal cities around the world, end quote. The new NOAA report confirms that residents of the U.S. will also feel the impacts of the global changes that greenhouse gas pollution causes. In the U.S., sea level rise is expected to vary by region, with areas along the Gulf Coast seeing water levels rise by 18 inches. The report also says that modern flooding will take place more than 10 times more often than it does today, and that major flooding will be five times more frequent than it is currently. The National Butterfly Center in Texas that stood up to former President Donald Trump's border wall is now shuttering indefinitely because of harassment from right-wing conspiracy theorists. The 100-acre Nature Preserve in Mission, Texas, has been in an ongoing legal battle with the former Trump administration in order to prevent wall construction on its doorstep. Because of this, it has been targeted by right-wing groups that have falsely accused the center of being involved in human trafficking. The center's current plight began in 2017 when it sued the Trump administration over its proposed border wall, according to HuffPost. The center argued that wall construction would destroy habitat for birds and butterflies and cut off migration routes for low-flying species. 
It also said that the Trump administration began cutting down trees on center property without permission, according to NPR. If the wall were completed, it would divide the property and threaten endangered species. One of the projects funded by the infrastructure plan is to restore the Indian River Lagoon. When the tide is right, an ink-colored water spreads like a shadow across the aquamarine Indian River Lagoon. The dark water represents one of the most startling symptoms of what silently is killing the 156-mile lagoon, an estuary on Florida's east coast that is among the most biologically diverse on the continent, nutrient pollution. Nutrients are a component of fertilizers used on farm crops and front lawns. In the Indian River Lagoon, the pollution has wreaked havoc, nourishing harmful algae blooms that can cloud the historically crystalline water, preventing sunlight from reaching the seagrass undulating beneath the surface. Most notably, widespread seagrass losses led in 2021 to a record die-off of some 1,100 manatees in Florida, prompting wildlife agencies to resort to providing supplemental lettuce for starving manatees in the lagoon, where the majority of the deaths occurred. The problem is among those targeted with an unprecedented $101 billion in federal funding aimed at revitalizing Florida's treasured and troubled Everglades, a watershed responsible for the drinking water of more than 8 million Floridians and the subject of one of the most ambitious attempts at ecological restoration in human history. There is a problem with the plan. At a minimum, the sea level rise is expected to be 18 inches by 2050 and about 3 feet by 2100. Sea level rise is, is a lagging effect, so if all greenhouse gas emissions were halted tomorrow, the seas would continue to rise, possibly for centuries. The average temperature on Earth now hovers around 58 degrees Fahrenheit, and under the business-as-usual model, this could reach 67 degrees Fahrenheit over the next 100 years. Thus far, the globe has not responded decisively to the threat of climate change, so there is some likelihood of reaching these temperatures. Whenever the average temperature has exceeded 67 degrees Fahrenheit in the past, all the polar ice has melted, leading to a sea level rise of 200 feet. It appears inevitable that the Indian River Lagoon, and indeed the Everglades, will eventually best be seen from a cruise ship. Brooklyn, New York residents and environmentalists are protesting the construction of a seven-mile North Brooklyn gas pipeline. They claim the pipeline violates their civil rights by bypassing white neighborhoods and going through neighborhoods with black residents and other residents of color. Opponents of the pipeline have filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Justice and the EPA that alleges that the pipeline discriminates racially, violating Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The act prohibits federally funded entities from discriminating on the basis of race, gender, and other protected entities. The pipeline is supposed to go through areas that victims of environmental racism inhabit with heavy burdens of toxic chemicals and high rates of autoimmune problems like asthma because of the high levels of pollution. Brooklyn residents say they never had an opportunity to give informed consent to the pipeline. Communities experiencing environmental injustice complain often of having polluting projects invade their communities without their consent, contaminating their air, water, and land, and harming their health. And now for our feature Indiana environmental reporter, Enrique Sainz, we'll talk about 
two northern Indiana towns that cut a deal to fix decades of water pollution violations. Two towns in northwest Indiana have entered into agreements to resolve allegations they violated federal and state laws by allowing raw sewage to enter waterways for more than a decade. The town of Highland and the town of Griffith are both right along the Indiana-Illinois border southeast of Hammond. They entered into separate consent decrees with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. The towns agreed to pay civil penalties and make sewer system improvements in order to settle a lawsuit alleging the towns violated the Clean Water Act and Indiana state law by allowing untreated wastewater to enter local waterways since at least 2012. Highland will pay $175,000 and Griffith will pay $33,000. The towns will also have to make about $100 million in sewer system improvements over the next decade. Both towns rely on the nearby Hammond Sanitary District to transport a specific amount of wastewater collected in the towns and treat it at Hammond's wastewater treatment plant. But over the last few decades, sanitary systems that would transport the wastewater in both towns have been unable to deal with chronic backups and flooding that followed heavy rainfall despite tens of millions of dollars in system upgrades. That has resulted in overflows that pollute an already troubled waterway, the Little Calumet River, and a tributary that feeds into the river, the Katy Marsh Ditch. Sewer overflows deposit untreated water containing human waste and other potentially toxic materials into waterways. The raw sewage can contain bacteria like E. coli, viruses, parasitic organisms, and other harmful things that can cause life-threatening afflictions like cholera, dysentery, hepatitis, and infections. According to court records, the Highland Sanitary District discharged untreated sewage from several locations into the waterways more than 250 times since 2012. In 2016, the town had 10 overflows that resulted in more than 730,000 gallons of untreated water entering the Little Calumet River. In just four years, both the number of overflows and the amount of untreated water released nearly tripled. In 2020, the town had 29 overflows, which released 29 million gallons of untreated sewage into the Little Calumet River. The town of Griffith experienced 16 overflows during the past decade, including a massive 14.9 million gallon overflow lasting several days in late April 2019, a 6.3 million gallon overflow a month later, and a 10.5 million gallon overflow over two days in May 2020. Both towns previously entered into consent decrees with the EPA and IDEM in the 1990s and early 2010s that ordered them to make the necessary changes to prevent sewer overflows. Neither town was able to fully meet the consent decree requirements, but the new agreement gives both towns more time to meet the federally mandated requirements. The Griffith Town Council said the current consent decree was a money-saving result of a decade of negotiation. This is Griffith Town Council President Rick Reifa during a meeting April 5th. What was requested of us and our engineers at the time that suggested we build a approximately a 15 million gallon, 10, 12, 15 million gallon basin to hold extra water. We didn't think that was a real good idea. Rifa said the basin would have cost between 20 and $30 million and could have been rejected as a remedy to the overflow problem by future administrations. Instead, the town's attorney convinced the EPA and IDEM to modify the agreement to allow the city to fix the potential sources of inflow and infiltration in the town's sewage collection system and increase pumping capacity by adding a wet weather pump station and a new force main by October 1st, 2026. The price of the modification is estimated to be between 14 and 15 million dollars. Essentially, by, uh, by, by negotiating for 10 years, we save the town half the price. The town of Highland will have to complete four and a half miles of costly new sanitary gravity sewers in addition to a new lift station and force main. 
the town must complete the improvements by 2033. The improvements both towns must complete will bring them into federal and state compliance and improve the overall health of waterways near the communities, but at a cost. Both towns will have to raise rates to pay for the sanitary system improvements and for increased flows sent to the Hammond system. Highland officials said an average household will pay about $14.25 more per month as a result of the increase. Griffith officials have not yet decided how much the sanitary rates will increase. Griffith Clerk Treasurer Michael Griffin said the current rate in place was not generating what it once did and that the fees will cover increased local operating costs and investments in the collection systems. The towns could receive help from the state to finance the projects. The Highland Sanitary District has requested $7.7 million in financial assistance from the Indiana Clean Water State Revolving Fund Loan Program to help finance the collection system improvements. The federally funded program provides low-interest loans and grants to communities needing to improve their wastewater and drinking water infrastructure. The program recently received an $11.7 billion infusion of funding via the 2021 Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Once Indiana receives its portion, the towns could receive some type of funding. The U.S. Department of Justice will soon accept public comments on the consent decrees. Check out our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org, for more details. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. A Wild Tea Time demonstration is scheduled for Saturday, May 7th from 10 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. at Brown County State Park. Learn what plants make suitable teas, any historic uses for those teas, and take some to try. Meet at the Fall Overlook at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, May 7th at 3 p.m. to learn about the snakes at the falls. Find out which creatures are slithering near the creek and swimming after minnows. You will find out the snakes are not venomous. It's Morel Mushroom Time, and Brown County State Park is having a Morel Mushroom Festival on Saturday, May 7th, and Sunday, May 8th, from 11 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. You can join the naturalists to learn about how they grow, how to identify them, and where they are likely to be found. Lots of activities are scheduled for the weekend. Join the naturalist at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, May 14th from 1 to 3 p.m. to learn about wacky water critters. Explore the world of macro invertebrates. This hands-on activity will use dipping nets, magnifying glasses, and dichotomous keys to collect, examine, and study aquatic insects. Go to the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area website to register. Learn basic boater safety and paddling tips from an instructor before a canoe find it scavenger hunt on Saturday, May 14th and Sunday, May 15th from 10 a.m. to noon on both days at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. Collect points for a chance to win a prize. Register at bloomington.in.gov 
slash parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Our environmental news brief reporter is Nathaniel Weinzeffel. Juliana Daly assembled the script, and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced, audio edited, and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report.